But we'd be like, John started a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it. If I started a cult, it would be a, it'd be a fairly decent one. Oh yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I'd definitely get people joining it. You know, <laughs> I'd sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. Good morning, Vietnam. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Hello, welcome to the fifth episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. Today, I am joined by Mary. How are you doing, Hello, Mary? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. As Mary's already said, I'm here as well. I'm John. Unfortunately, we're not joined by our podcast leader, Simi, today. He is away at the Loch Ness Film Festival and he's been on holiday and various things like that. So, unfortunately, it's just a duo again this week. But we promise for the next one, we will be back to normal service if, we can, <laughs> if there is such a thing as normal service. Right. Today, we're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Us, which was released earlier this year. The film grossed something like $71 million dollars in the US alone so it can be fairly said that it was a sizable hit. Now Mary you did the review for the site when it came out at the cinema a couple of months ago. What did you so what did you think of it? Do you know I had mixed feelings initially because I think because I had enjoyed Get Out so much I kind of went into us thinking oh well this is going to be you know a really big allegory and there's going to be lots of political subtext and there's going to be a lot to it and maybe about half an hour 45 minutes into the film I was like I don't really feel like I'm getting that and once I sort of changed my viewing mode as it were and just sort of accepted it on the basis of just being pure horror I actually began to sort of settle into it and enjoy it. Um, I don't think you can really settle into it, actually. That's probably a pure turn of phrase because George and Peele is very good at sort of making you feel like your skin's crawling the whole way through the film. But I absolutely loved it. And what I thought was really impressive were all the sort of central performances. You know, horror is home to quite a few hammy but well-loved performances at the, the heart of many franchises or uh, standalones. And to me, this was like, it could have been a drama, it could have been a thriller, it just happens to be a horror. But all the performances, obviously in particular Lupita Nyong'o, was absolutely outstanding. I really, really enjoyed it. Excellent. Uh, yeah, speaking of performances, obviously there was Winston Duke and an absolutely tremendous performance by Elizabeth Moss. She was only on screen for maybe about 15 minutes in total, but just absolutely amazing. She's having a good couple of years. Oh, let's be the fruit. She is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Her Smell, have you seen that yet? No, I missed it at the festival and I'm annoyed at myself that I've yeah. done that because apparently it's very, very good. good. Yeah. Yep. So what did you think of the film in terms of just being... So I, I think my issue was that I went into expecting all this subtext. Did you have the same issue or did you just kind of accept it as pure horror from the offset? Well, I didn't really think of a Get Out 
as a pure horror film anyway. So mm-hmm. I looked at it in a slightly different way. I knew there would be horror elements to it, but I knew there'd be so much more because obviously Jordan Peele comes from a comedy background mm-hmm. as well. He's he's done an awful lot of different things. What I was hoping for was something that was going to sort of just sort of capture me right from the start and really keep me interested and keep me thinking about it. And what I found was I got exactly what I expected in terms of that type of film. What I really like about this and what I really liked about Get Out was the rewatchability factor of it. You watch it once and you watch it all the way through and obviously there's various twists and turns. I mean, that's fair to say in any sort of film. But when it all finished off, and you're going, oh, all right, that happened, and there was this, and there was this. What I wanted to do was watch it again right away, because then there was you, you basically watch the film a second time, and it's in a completely different sort of frame of mind, because you're looking for certain things, and you're picking up in certain things as well that you may not have found the first time. That's it's, it's a trick that not everybody can do. I like the fact that he seems to pack his film full of these sort of wee nods and wee sort of pointers everywhere. There was a lot of stuff going on in terms of visual clues and all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, right from the very start when, I mean, this isn't really giving anything away, when like the, the young Addy goes into the, the Hall of Mirrors mm-hmm. and it's called Vision Quest at that point. There's a big sign there and it says, find yourself. That's the first thing that you <laughs> You see, and you go, okie dokie, right? So where are we going from here, you know? And then obviously she goes in and it scratched on the wall was get out mm-hmm. as well. And things, you know, there's lots of wee things. And it's that, that works all the way through the film. There's lots of wee nods to all sorts of wee bits, you know, like mirroring and the likes of legit, just some of the, the, the things that the people did as well. I just mm-hmm. thought it was just, it was totally spot on. There was so much, and I think I actually said this in the review as well, there were so many close-ups on faces, particularly when Lupita Nyong'o was playing Red, the sort of untethered version of herself. And there was a lot of almost like grotesque, so there was a lot of, you know, bulging eyes and sort of sinister smiles. And the whole thing kind of felt like a big cinematic hall of mirrors because it was not just, you know, you looking at a reflection of yourself. It was like looking at a distorted version of yourself obviously a version of yourself that's been kept underground and you know unable to speak but I thought it was great it played in a lot of kind of other sort of genres of film so you've obviously got home invasion films like funny games and stuff like that and there is the sort of idea of you know the doppelganger or the twin and that's I think that's quite a common comedy trope as well as a, a horror trope this sort of other version of ourselves that looks the same but I, I just really enjoyed even that scene where you know the family look outside and it's like you know there's four people outside and mm-hmm. Winston Duke's like hey you know get off the property and he's like I'm gonna have to do something and he can <laughs> tell that he really doesn't want to have to fight these people off and they just all sort of move towards the house in a sort of jilted way and yeah it was again it was just something that I felt like it was kind of under my skin once I'd sort of learned to appreciate it properly but as you say John so many nuggets throughout that when you watch it again you're like oh I missed that the first time and that was the clue for that and no I absolutely loved it. I do like the way that it kind of uh, plays in your expectations as well obviously with horror films you expect certain things to happen and it gives you that up to a certain extent there's a, there's a shot very early on where the, the family are on the beach and mm-hmm. it's actually a shot from above Mm-hmm. And you see them and you see their massive shadows stretched across the beach. And it's just sort of a good way of sort of getting across saying, 
there's a whole other side here, you know, and it's a darker side. But then it doesn't really follow through with some of the sort of standard horror tropes that you would expect. I mean, what I find is it's very difficult to talk about this film without giving an awful lot away because... I know, I'm um, trying really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the IMDB uh, listing for it just says a family goes invasion, find themselves confronted by doppelgangers and basically things happen, you know? And... not and you don't thing. want it's what it's one of these films that you don't want to give anything away because you, you want people to enjoy it as much as uh, I've kind of enjoyed it as well. You know, I did like the way that the the trouble that they took with the the main characters and made their doppelgangers the same, but with some really really different characteristics to them. Like Lupita Nyong'o, her character moved as you say, she, she moved in an entirely different way. It was a very balletic way that she moved, mm-hmm. based on part of her story and part of Adelaide's story as well, because they, all they've got to do with their background and their dancing and everything like that. So it was, it was just, oh. <laughs> and it just, I mean, it basically summed it up for me as well in terms of, it was a whole political element of it where all the, the hands across America and which I didn't really get because I didn't understand about that when I actually watched it. I read up about it afterwards. And Yeah, I had to do that as well because I kind of thought it was like a sort of Live Aid-esque type of charity but I didn't I didn't get the reference so yeah no I, I was exactly the same I had to look up and then when I, I did read a bit about it I kind of understood where they were getting the the whole idea of the doppelgangers and what they were actually doing as well that kind of sort of brought it into focus as well it was it was something that they could hang the one of the horror elements off and then like during one of the speeches you know they were saying well, who are you and they said oh, we are Americans mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just going oh yeah yep yeah yeah, yeah. really Yep. One of my favourite moments in the film is actually it's when they're in Elizabeth Moss's house mm-hmm. and she asks the Alexa or whatever it's not called Alexa, it's called something else. It's called Ophelia. Um, Ophelia. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So she, you know, she said, call the police and it starts. <laughs> Fuck the police. And it was like the relief that I needed because up until that point, I was holding my breath. Yeah, so I yeah. to hear that bleeding out. I could finally sort of have a wee bit of a laugh and go, oh, okay. But then it all kicked off again. So you were like, ah, shit. But it was a wee kind of laugh that I definitely needed because up until that point, I was like, this is all my worst nightmares come true. This is horrific. <laughs> and, you know, up until that point, in, in fact, probably long beyond that point in the film as well, I was so convinced that actually they may have given, like, Lupita Nyong'o a body double or a voice double or something because I was, the performances are so different. Mm-hmm. It, it To me, I, I couldn't get my head around that it was the same actress doing the, the two parts. I thought it was incredible. Yep, that kind of leads nicely into a, maybe a wee discussion about the the score and the music that they actually used. Obviously, they they used was it good vibrations just before that, which Ding. again it was just really good. But the the whole score, uh, like r- right from the opening, the the opening music over the credits, it was a sort of staccato gothic, mm-hmm. which uh, made me think of like the scissors stabbing, like that. Kind yeah, of it, kind, it kind of reminded me of Midsummer as well which obviously we, we both saw recently oh. it was that same sort of idea you know the almost sort of folky sort of playing into that sort of element as well you know yeah. and that kind of plays into sort of old sort of 70s maybe even hammer horror type films and things like that and then you get the the loonies you get five on it yeah. which is just a perfect song because obviously again a wee bit about mirroring because it's two people joining together to buy a dime bag yep. that kind of thing and then obviously it featured 
different ways, remixed it in. There was a wee orchestral version, and it was oh, when when that uh, the orchestral sort of version of that kicked in, like in the final third of the film, it's just gone. That is just spot on. Just, and it is so it's good. That, it's that sort of string music, and as you see, the kind of like early horror. And to me, the the music over the trailer that I initially saw it made me think of you know like Herman's Psycho score. Mm-hmm. It was that really sharp kind of. And I think that's perhaps why I sort of straight up thought this was going to be a kind of conventional horror. But then that sort of blend of more conventional pop music throughout, it has a greater effect on you than just a sort of straightforward score, because those are songs that you maybe associate with particular memories. And a song like Good Vibrations is a very happy, upbeat song. And so to have it, you know, juxtaposed with what's going on in front of you, it makes you sort of question your relationship with that type of music on a sort of funny side note i don't know if you've seen the cats trailer but somebody has put the music for us the the trailer music for us over the cats trailer and it weirdly fits it is kind of it's (laughs) scary the the way that it does work so well yeah but no i really i just thought this was a really good film and one that as you say john um you can go back to and keep piecing it together because certainly when i left the cinema without giving anything away the ending was very open And I had a lot of questions about various characters and what was going to happen to people sort of once the credits roll, as it were. I think maybe watching it again, it might give me more clues, but I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that you can go back to and try and piece together. And I think the good thing about this is that quite a few people that I've spoken to about it all have their own interpretation of what's happened, which is quite nice for a film like that, which is straightforward and conventional in so many ways, but is sort of leading you down lots of different roads on the other hand. Yeah, I think it's one of these films that is going to be around for a good long while and people are going to talk about it and there's going to be theses written about the ending, I think, and how it all comes together and what it actually means for it going forward. My absolute favourite bit in the whole film, though, was it was just after the the Good Vibrations and the the NWA song where uh, they were sitting about talking about how to protect themselves and the father says, oh, yeah, you know, we'll we'll do it like Home Alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll do all this and she turns around and says are you referencing home alone at a time like this and then the kids turn around and say what's home alone <laughs> i was just i was just nuts and i just thought that was so funny was again brilliant. the teenage characters and that were very like they weren't just you know your sort of stock teenage characters as well you know they'd had their wee niggles and they were on their phones and they were bored and holiday and all that sort of thing but they were sort of relatable as well I think that's what Peel gets so right in that you know he really does round off his characters really nicely whether they're sort of main cast or secondary I think for me anyway I was had such high hopes going into this because obviously Get Out was so good and I think Peel's kind of smashed it out the park I think because so often you get caught up in directorial debuts and you're like oh what can they possibly do next and it never quite delivers but I think Jordan Peel certainly did on this occasion. Yeah absolutely so I I take it you would recommend this film then? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, same here. Yep, uh, definitely a recommendation from both of us. Now, obviously, the, the film came from the Blumhouse Studios. Blumhouse was a production company that started back in 2009 with the ambition, basically, of making horror films and thrillers as cheaply as possible. And in doing so, what they, they were able to do was grant creative freedom 
to their directors and writers and such like. And their model has worked particularly well over the year. They obviously sort of gained notoriety through Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, various films like that, obviously the Purge films, and then they've obviously branched out. So what we thought we would do was uh, take a look at the back catalogue of Blumhouse and think about what we like out of them and sort of list top three films. Now, I don't know about yourself, but for my top three, I've kind of avoided the horror films because I'm I'm a horror fan, more and more of a horror fan these days, but I think the the output that they've they've sort of produced since they've they've started to make the name is actually a hell of a lot more interesting than the likes of Paranormal Activity and Paranormal Activity two, three and four and twenty-seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But they have done an awful lot of good stuff. So I thought we could have a look at sort of our three favourite films from us. Do you like to go first, sure. Mary, with your choice? Sure, I've avoided horror as well because um, I'm a pussy and I can't watch anything that's like bloody or gory or anything like that. So I actually thought I was going to struggle with this particular podcast, but when I had a look at their back catalogue, I was like, oh my god, they have done so much more than horror. So my first choice is one of my favourite films that I saw last year, and I think it was the Venom film that we all wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Upgrade. So I had not heard a thing about this. I hadn't seen a trailer, nothing. Um, And it was actually my boyfriend who was like, there's this really great sci-fi film coming out. We have to go and see it. It's on at like, you know, a Tuesday at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's the only time it's on. We have to go and see it. So we did. And I had no expectations whatsoever. And the writer and director, Lee Winnell, has delivered easily one of the best films of last year. It was absolutely crazy. Starring Logan Marshall Green and sort of, it's hard to explain this again without giving me too many spoilers. Basically him and his wife are living in this sort of futuristic city where AI does 90% of the work but his character Grey is still a, he's a vintage car mechanic so he still likes to get his hands dirty and he sort of rejects the technology of the city and what's lovely about the cinematography in this film is that the city is very much a class of cultures. It's digital meets analogue or manual or whatever you want to call it. So Jay's character and his wife are in a car crash and he becomes a paraplegic and he sort of wants to go on a revenge mission but he can't quite do that obviously because his new circumstances mean he's unable to move from the neck down and he meets a sort of weird Elon Musk type recluse played by Harrison Gilbertson who offers him a program called STEM. So he would implant STEM inside Grey's character and he now has all his original features back plus he's slightly enhanced. So then it kind of took you down the road of I thought this is going to be a sort of typical revenge film. The violence by the way is outstanding like there's a particular scene where he literally just like puts his hands inside a guy's mouth and rips his jaw open. It's incredible and I thought it was going to be a sort of typical revenge film sort of slasher loads of violence but it's absolutely not. The ending is, is not what I thought it was going to be and the violence although it's kind of extreme in some parts is really beautifully choreographed because obviously Grey's character is supposed to be controlled by an AI so it's not fighting in the conventional sense you know his body is moving in ways as if it's not his own which it obviously isn't but I absolutely loved it I had no expectations going in and I walked out thinking that is one of the best films I've ever seen. And then I saw Venom and I was like, man, you guys could have pulled this off. That would have been even better. Um, And the weird thing is that Logan Marshall Green does look like Tom Hardy, which made it even more confusing. But no, an absolutely outstanding film. Lee Winnell, absolutely incredible writer and director. And this is, for me, one of the best in the Blumhouse catalogue. 
Nice. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where he goes next from that because it was a particularly good film. I did like the, the, the main character in it and like you say, the way that he was expertly fighting, but it looked very awkward and <laughs> absolutely everything he did. Yeah, yeah, very good choice. Excellent. Awesome. You're up. Right. My first choice is Whiplash from 2014. It's basically a story about a young promising drummer who's in a music conservatory and he's pushing himself forward to try and get noticed by basically the best the best teacher, the best instructor in the place who's played by J.K. Simmons, who is just absolutely immense in this. So it's, it's, a, it's just a case of basically be careful what you wish for because he gets into Simmons's sights and basically it just all goes from there. I mean, the, the, there's a, a beautiful quote from the film J.K. Simmons delivers. He says, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. And you're just like, oh. That's <laughs> um, an American platitude, isn't it? Like, good job, yeah. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> there's one scene in particular where they're in rehearsals and it's the, the not quite my tempo scene where he's, he's asking him, were you rushing or were you dragging? And it just gets, it builds up the tension, it builds up and he's slapping him in the face. And you can see that he's actually, during the scene, he is actually slapping him. Miles Teller has taken a, a real a, amount of abuse there as well. And it's just, oh, it's, it's an amazing story. But it's another one of these films that when you watch it again, the first, the first time you watch it, you're thinking, Oh yeah, Mel's Taylor's the good guy in this. You know, he's 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 the one that has really been everything's been done to him. But when you actually look at it again, you think no, he's just as bad. He's he's a, he's he's a horrible character himself. He doesn't want friends. He wants fame. He wants to be the best he can. And he's he's basically going down that path. That in order to do that, he's basically shutting everybody and everything out of his life. And it's just fantastic. And I don't know many films that finish with a 15-minute drum solo. It's just <laughs> not that kind, kind of thing. And it's electric the way that it happens as well. It's just such oh, such a good ending. It's just fantastic. It's not really giving anything away in a film yep. about drummers that there's going to be a drum solo at the end. So I don't think I'm <laughs> spoiling it for anybody that uh, hasn't seen the film. No, I agree with you. I felt it was one of those films that you could actually sort of feel and smell the blood, sweat and tears the whole way throughout. And it is that kind of, you know, Mephistopheles type thing of, you know, do you sell your soul for the fame and fortune? But actually, what kind of person are you to sell your soul in the first place? Mm -hmm. um, no, I really loved it. I thought it was very, a very good choice. Absolutely nice. loved that film. Okay, choice number two. So for me, it's Black Klansman. And interestingly enough, I think I'm the only person I know that's been to see this and enjoyed it. And I'm not really sure why, because I thought it was an excellent film. Obviously, you know, Spike Lee keen to draw on the sort of ongoing racial tensions in America by sort of bookending his film with scenes of the violence in Charlottesville in the South. And it tells the, the true story of a black man who joined the Klan. And it sounds sort of absurd and fantastical, and it is, and it's quite cool when you see how they, they pull it off. John David Washington obviously starring as, as Ron Stallworth, the man who did that. But what I liked about this film was that I idea of it sounded kind of funny and almost like it was a joke and even the trailers did make it seem that kind of slightly sort of tongue-in-cheek way but actually when you watch it you know this is a very serious film about a very serious subject and you only have to look at some of the contrasting scenes where you've got some of the clan members you know sort of whooping and hollering and you know throwing racial slurs across the place and you've got that contrasted with somebody like Harry Belafonte you know recalling the the lynchings in Waco, Texas to make you go, 
this isn't funny, these aren't people to be laughing at because they're stupid, they're actually very dangerous. And I just thought it was a really excellent uh, film in general. I thought Topher Grace was excellent as the Grand High Wizard or whatever he was called. Um, I'm not quite sure of the rankings. <laughs> and I thought Adam Driver was brilliant as well um, as Flip Zimmerman, who is another policeman who's sort of struggling to come to terms with his own identity as well and I, I think that's sort of a big piece about this film it is very much about identity and belonging and you know Ron Stallworth as a black man in the police force stands out Flip is trying to come to terms with his Jewish identity and all these people that flock to join the clan is because they feel that their identity is almost at risk by the other or whatever you want to call it but I really liked it I thought it was a, a great film I liked the sort of kind of punchy disco soundtrack and and I really liked the whole idea of actually these are not people to laugh at and the fact that this is still you know an ongoing issue yeah I, I like the fact that he sort of mirrored history with the present day and I, I thought it was really interesting the fact that he didn't know anything like Spike Lee I'm talking about here he didn't know anything about the story beforehand Oh. Um, it was introduced to him by uh, one, of, I think it was the writer, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but he didn't know the story at all. And you would have thought something like that would have been such a big story before then, but it was kind of fresh for him. So therefore, it was completely fresh for audiences. And I think it's really put Spike Lee back in the map as well. Yeah, well, I know he didn't win a lot awards season with Black Klansman, but I think he did pick up a, at least maybe one Oscar and a couple of BAFTAs and stuff like that along the way. So I'd, again, I find it strange that I'm the only person that I seem to have enjoyed the film, but I, I really, really did. I thought it was great. Excellent. Good stuff. Right. My second choice is Jordan Peele's previous film, which is, we've mentioned it before, the 2017 film Get Out, where a young African-American with his girlfriend goes to visit her parents in their sort of leafy suburban home. He's a bit uneasy to begin with, and things only get progressively more uneasy as uh, the weekend goes on and certain things come to light about it. I just thought this was an absolutely fantastic movie unlike us it's all to do with the fact that it's blacks and it's whites whereas in us it didn't matter mm-hmm. who, who they were it, it just it was just a family and yeah. it, it could have been anybody at all but this was very much uh, a case of black and white even down to the fact that all the publicity for the film the posters and everything you had a, a picture of daniel kalua and behind him it was half black and it was half white it just kind of made that sort of division very clear it, i think it's the kind of film that sort of the, the the right would really like for probably the wrong reasons because it kind of shows the sort of a, an idea of a nightmare of the sort of the, the left, the sort of liberal elite, if you like. Mm-hmm. It's all these middle class people and how they actually treat people who they're supposed to be friendly with and represent. It's like the, the, the girlfriend's father figures played by Bradley Whitford and he goes out of his way to say, oh, you know, I, I voted for Obama twice, you know, and if he'd, <laughs> if he'd stood again, I would have voted that, for him again. It really like, is that classic, I'm not racist, I've got black friends. Yeah, exactly, yes. I, I have many black friends, that kind of idea, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's one of these films, it just it, it creeped up on you. There was a lot to it. In the same way that us, there was a lot of wee pointers and nods. I liked the way that there was elements introduced to it near the start of the film, like Catherine Keener having a cup of tea and things like that. And it's just, and just the way that that came back and everything. And oh, it was just it was it was sound. It was really good. And again, there was I just thought about that here. Um, there was a bit where things were very tense, and then suddenly there was a conscious choice where 
they made a sort of a funny element to it. It was a joke with Daniel Kalu's friends involvement mm-hmm. in it, the sort of security guard. And it just kind of, as you said, completely lightened the tension. It just mm-hmm. made it such a, a different film for a couple of minutes. And it allowed everybody to kind of reset. And then you're going, right, what's going to happen now? Right, here we go. <laughs> and it's it just, it was, it was just nicely done that, that way because it, if, if you have too much tension, it just kind of goes off the boil a wee bit, I think, sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, I thought that was a, a great film and a film that made me feel, you know, really, really uncomfortable. You know, here's all these white middle class people parading their newly acquired black housekeepers or servants around the back garden. You know, look how well behaved they are, look how well dressed they are. And it just, to me, I was like, this is so uncomfortable. I can be, I mean, never mind the horror aspects of it. That was horrific in itself. Mm. But yeah, no, a really, really attention grabbing in film. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Nice one. Okay, so your final choice, please. My final choice is probably more of a conventional horror thriller, and it is um, Split. Nice. Um, Which I was extremely late to, so late to, that I'd had the ending spoiled for me about a million times before I actually get around to seeing it, (laughs) which was really annoying, but didn't take away from the the sort of viewing uh, pleasure of it. I had sort of gone off the whole M. Night Shyamalan sort of uh, sequence of films because I I feel like they were getting progressively worse, if I'm being honest. The village I'd had worked out in about 20 minutes and thought, life's too short. (laughs) But this was a a real surprise. And actually, the sort of bigger surprise for me was James McAvoy. I thought his physicality and it was absolutely incredible. And the way he switches from one character to the next is is unbelievable and um, obviously it's the story of you know he kidnaps these teenage girls because he thinks that that's what he's supposed to do because he's still under therapy for I think it's dissociative personality disorder sort of kind of form of schizophrenia he's still seen as therapist and you know all the various characters inside his head are giving him really conflicting information which in itself gives the film a sort of unreliable narrator because you're not sure if his personalities are being helpful or if they're working towards something else and I just thought he was absolutely incredible you know the tension that builds up because he keeps referring to this you know beast that's going to come and Mm. the the sort of main character of Kevin the little boy personality that lives inside him who's got a kind of Tweety Pie-esque voice and then obviously the woman Patricia which has spawned a million memes of it was was Patricia and all this builds up to this beast which is and the thing is McAvoy doesn't he doesn't completely transform himself you know he takes his shirt off but what he does with his body and the way that he looks and the way that he moves himself across the screen is absolutely terrifying and I think he was severely overlooked um, for any sort of awards or glory attached to that film because I thought his performance was outstanding and it's a film that again you know I was really holding my breath throughout because you had no idea which character of his was going to come to the door next and you didn't know what that meant for the girls inside no, I absolutely loved it and it kind of got me back on the M. Night Shyamalan bandwagon again I thought it was a really great film yeah I think it did for a lot of people and a lot of people had written him off by that point but it seems to be that he was he's been given too much sort of too much scope to do whatever the hell he wants uh, mm-hmm. and that included money whereas obviously with Blumhouse what they tend to do is they give you a limited amount of money and they allow you to go and do what you want but I think he took that and he basically stripped down the whole idea as well so that it was a very lean film there wasn't all that many characters in it or anything like that but well in terms of like 
people, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously. James McAvoy was about a dozen people in it. But yeah. yeah, and you're right about his performance, the way he could transform himself just by, well, most of the time it was just by a look mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, just some sort of glance or a sort of a flick of the wrist or something like that. But yeah, then when the beast comes on and it is, it's a completely different, he's a completely different animal. And as you say, physically it doesn't look that different, but it's just the whole attitude. Yeah, I loved that movie. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Can't fault it at all. Yeah, no, I, I still haven't seen Glass, but I've had that spoiled for me as well. So <laughs> <laughs> Your final pick, John? Well, my final pick is one that may not be in most people's sort of top 10, I think, with Blumhouse. It's uh, Happy Death Day, which is basically... Uh, a slasher Groundhog Day movie. It's basically a, a young girl, uh, Jessica Roth, who wakes up. It's her birthday. She goes through her day. She's having a pretty crappy day because she wakes up in this strange guy's bed. And well, yeah, we don't like to say. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Before the day's out, she is murdered. Uh, and rather than just dying, she wakes up again and she's back in this guy's bed and she's basically reliving the whole day over and over and over again. Dying at various times, uh, in various gruesome and quite comedic ways. I thought this film was such a good idea because it's, it is basically something like Nightmare on Elm Street crossed with Groundhog Day. It's, it's such a good, fun idea. It's one of these ideas that you imagine that someone would pitch in desperation at a meeting. You know, they've, they've put their pet project out there, you know. You know, I want to do Pocahontas, but the real Pocahontas, and the studio's like, no, what else have you got? And they're sitting there thinking, you know, oh my God, uh, Groundhog Day, slashers, the very thing. <laughs> you know, take the budget, go. <laughs> so it, all the all the deaths in it and the, the th- sort of thriller elements are fairly straightforward, fairly standard, but they're very funny. It just works so well. You kind of get totally caught up in the action and how she's just, like she, she tries to figure out who's doing it and why they're doing it. It's more, more of the case. Mm-hmm. And there's red herrings and there's dead ends. And it's the comedy, as in Groundhog Day, where uh, you're repeating certain things about it and certain certain people are involved in all this and how she reacts to them and all this. Just thought it was a fantastic film. It spawned... Uh, a sequel last year, this year, I think it was, which a lot of people thought was going to be exactly the same. First 10 minutes were the same, and then it went off in a completely different direction. And it's such a fantastic title called Happy Death Day to You. <laughs> Amazing. Just, <laughs> you can't get better than that, yeah. With a number two. You're with the number two, yeah. Oh, so clever, so clever. Yep. Yep. Um, no, I, I, I'm going to admit that I haven't seen that, largely because, one, I'm a shite bag, and the creepy guy in the mask that looked like a sort of melted Thomas the Tank engine. Yeah. The trailer kind of scared me, so I was like, I think I'll give that one a miss. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the, the sort of the college, it's one of the college characters that was on T-shirts and all this sort of thing. So it was it was nicely done that they, they incorporated that into it. It made it quite fun and everything as well. So yeah, yeah, no, it does sound like really good fun. Actually, I might give it a watch. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, oh, it's definitely worth a watch if nothing else. So uh, it's bound to be on the telly at some point reasonably soon. I think it's one of these films that's going to be in fairly heavy rotation. And I think it's going to be appreciated 
over the years, just as something that's one of these a bit of fun films, you know. And it kind of sums up the whole Blumhouse style and th- their attitude towards it. You know, it's a fairly straightforward idea. It's not; it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's only about ninety minutes or something at the most. Because if you're you're talking about running this for about two hours, it could easily run out of steam and mm-hmm. start to repeat itself. But yeah, thought it was ideal. And again, it's one of these ones that cost something like four or five million dollars to make and made like a. A whole ton of money more which is a very good business model let's face it no absolutely and i think that's the thing about a lot of the the blumhouse films is that especially the ones that we've talked about as well you know the ideas are quite straightforward but it's the way that they're put together either you know through plot or the acting or the cinematography or the soundtrack it all comes together to make a really nice package it's just that they're you know they're not really overcomplicated or you know clearly aiming for sequels or whatever and i think that's what i like about them is that they're just kind of straightforward and they do have really good ideas but they're and they're executed really well as, as well which is the main thing nice nice all right so that's us done with blumhouse and just before we go we thought obviously one of the, the biggest news items of the last couple of weeks is the the new marvel mcu phase four announcement which was done at the uh, san diego comic-con last week and it threw up a fair number of surprises to to be honest as well for the first time they're including films and the proposed television shows which are coming through from the new disney Disney Plus service, which launches later in the year in the US with dates to be confirmed for the rest of the world. But I would imagine it wouldn't be too far away for everybody else, since I think Disney likes the sound of money coming through their tills. Yeah, I think they'd be fairly keen to to capitalise on a, on a on a streaming service as well, especially since they've removed a lot of content from uh, Netflix and everyone's bereft. Yes, yeah. I, there, uh, there was all the stuff about their uh, the various TV shows that have not been renewed and sometime fairly soon, I think, as you say, they're going to actually be removed from the service altogether, which will be a bit of a mixed blessing. Some of the, the shows weren't particularly good. I'm looking at you, Iron Fist. Uh, <laughs> and some of them were very good. <laughs> in Indeed, particularly the Daredevil ones and obviously the Punisher that we've talked about previously. Yeah, I'm um, that's going or finished up for, for now anyway. Fingers crossed it does yeah. get picked up again. I kind of think it's going to come back. I think what the general idea is that the Disney Plus ones are going to be sort of slightly sanitised 12A versions of their, their characters, whereas they're going to use the Hulu platform for slightly more adult. Ah, uh, I was going to say, I definitely don't want a sanitised version of The Punisher. So if it moves to Hulu, that's that's fine because I can I, still get, you know, kicking ass on yeah, a I think they've seen from Netflix that there is definitely a, an audience for these sort of harder-edged programmes. And obviously we don't get access to what the viewing figures are mm-hmm. for these, but I think they've been very popular and very profitable for for Netflix. So as part of the announcement, they announced Black Widow film, they advertised the Eternals film, the Shang-Chi film, the new Doctor Strange, a fourth Thor film, and as a surprise at the end, they introduced Blade as coming back to the MCU as well, which was quite quite a, a surprise at the end of it. So what do you think of that lineup? Um, I'm really excited for Mahershala Ali to take on Blade because I think he's absolutely phenomenal. Everything that I've seen him in, you know, True Detective, Moonlight, Green Book, whether you like the film or not, he is phenomenal and he's a really, really fascinating actor. I think he's very nuanced in his performances and this will be something sort of wildly different from from what he's done before because um, mm-hmm. obviously he kind of sticks to sort of nitty gritty drama but I think you know he deserves a platform like this he's a he's a fantastic actor apart from that I'm really excited for the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because I think it's going to be him and I've forgotten her name Elizabeth Olsen 
Ah, yes. And a sort of they're seen as a sort of horror, sort of twisted thriller type of film. So I'm really excited for that because again, I think I was the only one that actually enjoyed Doctor Strange, but I did really like that movie. Oh um, no, you're not alone. I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a fantastic movie when it came out, and there were where a lot of people were saying oh, it's not very good, isn't it? I was going, what are you talking about? I know. Sorcerers. <laughs> it was like Inception meets Marvel meets a whole bunch of wizard stuff. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but those are the only two that are kind of jumping out at me right now i'd be intrigued to see where taika waititi takes thor because obviously we're now switching to mighty thor being played by natalie portman which Mm -hmm. fanboys is exactly how it happens in the comics so stop losing your shit over (sighs) this isn't a pc agenda this is exactly how it happens in the comic books i'll be excited to see what he does with that but I, I don't really care for a Black Widow movie. She was never a character that particularly stood out to me in the uh, Avengers franchise. So, and I'm yet to sort of see what the Eternals has to hold. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. Some stuff I am excited about, others, meh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Shang-Chi film, basically because it's, it's something that I don't know very much about. And a lot of the time with the MCU films, it's the ones that I don't know very much about surprise me the most. Mm-hmm. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew a wee bit about Doctor Strange, but not very much. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, excellent. It just it works very well. So I'm looking forward to their, their, their take on it. And they seem to be going about it in the right way. It's something that really shouldn't be commented on, but they're, they're doing it properly. They're, they're avoiding the mistakes that was made with the likes of Iron Fist uh, in the casting and in the pe- people behind the scenes as well. The people are actually doing the, the direction and the rating and everything. I just think, yep, yep. More and more Marvel just do these things and they're, they're, they don't seem to be doing them for any sort of reason other than they know there's a market out there for very different types of films and they basically want to make money and they basically want to tell stories. There's some interesting stuff. It was I, I was listening to the Empire podcast. It was a Spider-Man special and it was Kevin Feige and various other people were on that. And basically, it's just the passion that comes through when these people talk about the films. They don't talk about it in terms of getting bums on seats. It's all about the development and the story. And it just shows how much they actually love it. Now, that could be taken as being kind of a, a very naive approach, but I kind of like, like to think that that's what they're trying to do. They basically want to tell stories and get them out there. Fair enough, it's, ma- it's on a massive scale now and everything as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to quite a lot of it. I'm, I quite like the idea of the what if ones as well. That's where what if Peggy became Captain America and things like that. And obviously you're getting some of that with the, the Falcon now becoming Captain America and obviously like, teaming up with the Winter Soldier. But there's a lot of sort of interesting projects that they're doing. They're not standing still. They're, they're not just producing sequels. They're, they're trying to expand it. Yeah, no, and I think that's the main thing as well. It's not films to cash in on what's done well already. There clearly is a bigger plan here that, you know, was formulated probably, you know, well over a decade ago to actually roll this out piece by piece. And I I do appreciate that DC, somebody needs to check if they still have a pulse. Like, (laughs) I bet you they watched that and just went, fuck, they're doing it again. But my sort of fear is that, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in a world, as much as I love Marvel films and superhero movies, I don't want to live in a world where that's all there is at the box office. Like we've been talking about a lot of, you know, Blumhouse films that are small budget and really well executed. And I just want to make sure there's still space for for that type of cinema as well, because more often than not, you find new favourites in, in that type as opposed to the sort of big budget blockbustery types. But as you say, you know, everyone that are in, involved with these projects do seem genuinely passionate about what they're doing and excited as to where they're taking the narrative next. Yeah, I, I the biggest one for me is is Doctor Strange and, and Blade out of yep. all the announcements, I think. 
Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. If any of our listening audience out there has obviously taken in the, the announcements and have got anything to say on it, please do get in touch with us. So we are basically all over social media. You can find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Just let us know what you think. And obviously, if you listen to the podcast and you like it, then please let us know. Give us an idea about any any topics that you think we should be considering over the next couple of episodes. All comments, apart from the really bad ones, are obviously very, very welcome <laughs> <laughs> because we make enough bad comments to ourselves if you do like the podcast obviously um uh, a wee subscribe and your favorite podcast provider of choice would be very welcome as well so just like to say thanks very much everybody and we shall see you on the next episode which will be in a couple of weeks time bye